There's nothing that you can do to prevent your heart from getting hurt in a marriage. But there is something you can do to prevent your heart from getting hard. The reality is this, there are no enduring marriages without many minor acts of forgiveness and several major acts of forgiveness. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Walk into any bookstore today and you'll find thousands upon thousands of volumes offering advice in the area of relationships. Endless books offering expert opinions, tips for successful relationships, and methods to cope when things go sour. They're all available to people trying to avoid getting hurt. Well, the matter of the hurt is the fourth message in our current series, Marriage Matters. Today, Pastor Trent Griffith once again takes us to the Word of God, the most reliable source for learning how to have healthy and enduring relationships. Here's Pastor Trent. Let's get your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 18. We've been talking about the matter of marriage and the fact that marriage matters. And so we've been using Matthew chapter 19 as the launching point for this series. And today we're gonna kind of springboard from Matthew 19 where Jesus spends about 12 verses teaching us about marriage. But we're gonna go back to chapter 18 and learn the key to surviving and thriving in marriage. Last week, you remember, we talked about the matter of the heart. Today, we're talking about the matter of the hurt. The reality is every marriage is going to experience hurt because every marriage has at least one sinner in it. Key term, at least, right? How many sinners in every marriage? At least two. Uh, some of you have two living on the inside. It's just real bad. So uh, anyway, sin is going to be a reality. We're going to get sinned against, and we are going to sin from time to time. There's nothing that you can do to prevent your heart from getting hurt in a marriage. But there is something you can do to prevent your heart from getting hard. And we're going to talk about what that is here today. The reality is this. There are no enduring marriages without many minor acts of forgiveness and several major acts of forgiveness. I want to introduce you to some friends of mine. They live in Detroit. Uh, they are friends of ours. They, uh, they planted a church about 15 years ago, and uh, uh, we love Dave and Ann. Dave is actually uh, a Hall of Fame quarterback for Ball State University. And uh, he went on to uh, become the Detroit Lions chaplain. Can you imagine having to pray for the Detroit Lions? This is a tough job, okay? So anyway, he assures me it is not his fault. All right, he's doing everything he can there. But uh, I want you to listen to the story of of Dave and Ann here. Marrying Dave Wilson was the most exciting thing I could even imagine I just had these pictures in my head of what Dave was gonna be like. He's the hottest, most godly. He's gonna lead me spiritually. It was the most anticipated thing of my life to marry him. I was married 10 years, and then we started embarking on the dream of our life, which was starting this church. And we just had this vision of wanting God to do something 
great in terms of reaching people. Couldn't believe that God would use us to reach thousands for Christ, and it was an absolute dream come true. The dream started to become a reality, but it was becoming a very difficult reality. I basically got two or three jobs going all at the same time, trying to be a dad, trying to be a husband, trying to live my dream of starting, help starting this church. He was gone more and more and more. I'm at the same time the Detroit Lions chaplain, so I'm leading Bible studies, I'm on the road with the team. And I would say things like, honey, you've got to be here. Like, the boys are growing up, I need you, the boys need you. I'm longing to spend time with you. And he's like, oh, I know. I thought I was doing great as a husband, as a dad. I preach this stuff. I know, you know, what the Bible says about marriage. And I'm, I'm not perfect, but I'm living it pretty good. And we've got a pretty good marriage. I would put my marriage up against anybody's. He would walk out the door and I'd be like, wait, you're leaving again tonight? And he'd be like, yeah, don't you remember I had this meeting and then I have to go here and I have to speak to these people? And I'd be like, whatever. Great, you know what? I'll put the boys to bed by myself again. That's great, honey. See ya. I would have said to you on a scale of one to 10, my marriage is probably a 10. If not a 10, it's a 9.8. And I guarantee you my wife would agree. And I would have probably said we're a one, maybe like a 0.5. Um, and I think he was totally clueless to that, which then that made me even more angry because I'm thinking, how do you not know how bad we're doing? On May 24th, 1990, it was our 10-year anniversary, and I sort of surprised Ann with a 10-year anniversary date. We dressed up, went to a really nice restaurant, and I sort of set it up with the waiter while we were having dinner. When I would cue him, just sort of give him a look, he was supposed to bring a rose over. And so I cued him early in the dinner, and he brought over a rose and laid it on the table, and we talked about year one. He was like a little boy that night, like waiting for the next thing to happen. And I looked over later and he brought another rose. So anyway, every rose was a year and we would talk about that year. He was so sweet. He even planned what he was going to say when each rose arrived. On the way home, I thought it'd be pretty cool to uh, park in the parking lot where we were about to start our church. And Ann hadn't even seen this, so I thought it'd be pretty cool to park there, maybe pray about what God could possibly do. And to be totally honest with you, I thought we should just park. I know Dave Wilson. I knew that there was like this ulterior motive where it's like, yeah, we're going to park here. And, you know, he's all about the parking part. And so um, I kind of knew that was coming. So I leaned over to kiss Ann. And uh, as I, you know, lean over to kiss her in the passenger seat, she sort of pulls away. Ugh. I just was like, I can't even, honey, I, I, in my head, I was thinking, I cannot even go there. So I pull back and I look at her and I say, is something wrong? She looks at me, I'll never forget this, and she goes, well, yeah, there is something wrong. And I'm like, what's wrong? And she says, well, to be honest with you, I've lost my feelings for you. So what are Dave and Ann going to do? Fortunately, Jesus tells us what to do when we experience hurt in a relationship. Now this morning, obviously we're talking about marriage, but the, the truth applies here to anybody who's ever been in a relationship. How many of you can think of a relationship where the person you were in a relationship with was less than perfect toward you? Anybody think of any offenses right now and things that they should have done, things that they did they shouldn't have done? That's what we're going to be talking about here in this passage of Scripture. The passage doesn't address marriage. 
It addresses relationships. We're going to apply it to the topic of marriage. But if you're here today, it could, it could apply to any relationship that you have. So let's dive into the scripture here as we deal with the two directions of hurt. First of all, I want you to see here that if, if we're going to deal with hurt, we have to repent of the hurt coming through us. We're also going to talk, talk about the direction of hurt coming to us. But first of all, repent of the hurt coming through us. Let's begin in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother... Now, you could take that word brother and apply it to any relationship. That could be brother, sister, mother, father, son, daughter, friend, enemy, co-worker, husband, or wife. If your brother sins against you. Now, a sin can be an act of commission, something somebody says or does to you. They do something to hurt you. But many times the deepest hurt comes from things that people don't say or don't do that they should do or should say. And we're carrying these hurts that come from sins of people. So, it says, if your brother sins against you, here's the prescription, go. Not go away, but go toward. Go and tell him his fault. Notice it doesn't say, go and tell your sister. Go and tell your mother. Go and tell your pastor. It says, go and tell who? Tell the one who has hurt you. Tell the one who has sinned against you in a loving confrontation. He says, go and tell him his fault between you and him. Next word. Alone. This is not for public consumption. Too often we use the hurt as a justification to gossip. So many times we can mask the gossip by simply saying, would you please pray for my husband? He's an idiot. <laughs> he's hurting me. He's, he's an awful husband. Let me tell you what he did last week because I want you to pray that he would stop doing No, you're masking your hurt and your bitterness and you're going to others instead of going to him alone. And same for the wife. If he listens to you, underline the word listens, you have gained your brother. You know what Jesus is saying here? It is worth the risk to have a loving confrontation because if the one who is confronted listens and repents, you are the beneficiary of that brother's relationship. So you benefit. It's your reward if you will take the risk, put your... Uh, put yourself in a position where you love a person enough to point out what they are doing to hurt you. Now, we could talk about all kinds of different sins. We could spend the rest of the, the, uh, the, the service. I could just say, you know, raise your hand. Tell me a sin that someone's done against you. And we could come up with a huge list. And believe it or not, no matter how horrific your sin is, I'm sure somebody else in the room could trump yours. We've all been hurt. We've all been put in a position where someone has sinned against us. But let's come up with two categories because we are talking about husbands and wives. Now, I would say that you can put all of the sins that a husband commits against his wife in one big bucket with one word label on the outside of it. 
And you can take all the sins that a wife commits against her husband and put all of those sins in that bucket with a one-word label on that one. Two different buckets, two different labels. Let's find out what they are. I'm not making this up. This is what we are told in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. Here's a command to husbands. Husbands, listen up. Let each one of you love his wife as himself. So what's the label on the outside of the offense of the wife? She has not been loved. She has been unloved or she feels unloved. And so every act or every act of commission, every act of omission, everything he says that hurts her, everything he doesn't say that hurts her, every time he does something, you put that in the bucket, she is going to feel unloved. What we learn from that is God is telling us that the number one need of a wife is what? Love. She needs love. Over and over, this is the third time in eight verses in Ephesians chapter five that God tells husbands, love your wives. Why? Because he doesn't want you to hurt them. He doesn't want you to sin against them. Now, the label on the outside of the wife's bucket is different. Look at what it says. Here's a command to wives. Wives, listen up. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. Did you know that nowhere in the Bible do you ever find a direct command that says, wives, love your husbands? It's not in there. You say, good, I don't have to love him anymore. No, it's obviously you, you're supposed to love him as you're to love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. Obviously, you're supposed to love, but it's almost as if it's assumed. But we find in Scripture the command over and over for wives that she respects her husband. You know why? The number one need of a husband is not love. It's respect. Now, he would love to be loved, but when he feels love, it's because he feels respect. So a husband feels like he's been sinned against when things are said or things are not said or things are done or not done that communicate disrespect. Husbands, if your wife sins against you, if your wife disrespects you, what does the scripture say? Go to her. And if she listens, you have gained your wife. Wives, if your husband treats you in an unloving way, go to him, and if he listens, you have gained your husband. So healthy marriages are filled with loving confrontation. Now, before you go, some of you are trigger happy. You're like, yes. I, some of you are like jumping all over this because you've been so hurt and your mechanism to deal with the hurt is to attack and it's like blood in the water for me to be telling you this. It's like saying sick them to a dog. You're like, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm gonna jump on that. Others of you, you're not like that. Your, your mechanism to deal with hurt is not attack, it's withdrawal. And your sin is just as great now because you're just trying to, to, to dull the pain and separate yourself and not risk getting hurt anymore. This verse is telling us the way to resolve Conflict in marriage comes first through a loving confrontation. But before you go, here's some things to remember. First of all, remember this. Examine the offense. Examine the offense. That, that means this. If, if you're offended, you need to ask yourself the, the question, is this really sin? Is this really somebody who has malicious intent for me? 
Or is it that I'm just easily annoyed, right? You see, the scripture says the first way that we can resolve any conflict is simply by overlooking an offense. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11 says this, good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. You know what this is talking about? It's talking about someone that is so mature, so mature in the Lord that they get their acceptance and their attention and their approval drive met from the Lord that very little bothers them. They've got thick skin and they are full of grace. And when you cut them, they bleed grace. That's a mature believer. But you can go to the next step and say, consider your part in the offense. Why is my husband treating me this way? Why is my wife treating me this way? Are they avoiding me and not coming home because I haven't created an atmosphere that is gracious and kind and they come home and there's, there's conflict and there's expectation and there's nagging and there's pressure? Well, no wonder they're not coming home. So you have to examine your own part. Some of you say, what? I was only 10% wrong. I mean, nobody's perfect. I was only 10% wrong in the offense. They were 90% wrong. Fine. You take 100% responsibility for your 10% and let God deal with the 90% of your spouse through your loving confrontation. And then when you go, if you decide that it's something that needs confrontation, I'm going to love them enough to point out how they're hurting God, they're hurting me, and they're hurting this marriage. I'm going to love them enough. And here's the formula. We speak the truth in love. Now, some of us are really good speaking the truth. Did you know that when you speak, you should always speak the truth? But you should not always speak the truth. You should only speak the truth when you can speak the truth in love. Not as a motive to seek revenge, but as a motive to restore relationship and, and, and help the, the brother that you're talking to. So we speak the truth in love. Speaking the truth without love is brutality. Speaking the truth, or speaking without truth and only loving is just speaking flattery. So, all these things have to be in place when we're going to someone. Now, the question is, what happens if you follow all of this, you do everything you're supposed to do, you go with a loving heart, full of grace, your desire and your motive is to restore relationship, you've accepted your part, and they don't hear you, they don't listen. Scripture tells us, look at verse 16. But if he does not listen... Take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two, two, two or three witnesses. This, this concept is so unheard of in the contemporary church, it's even hard to fathom the type of relationship that would be required in order for this kind of loving restoration to happen. But this is the kind of church that we are trying to build. You always hear us harping on you about getting in a small group. Do you know why? We're trying to save your marriage. Because there will come a point when you go and try to resolve conflict one-on-one -on -one and your wife or your husband won't hear you. Where do you go? 
you go to the context of this broader group with which you have vulnerability and transparency and accountability, and you say, I need some counsel on this. Well, have you gone to them? Yes, I have. Well, tell me what's going on. All right, let, let, let me come alongside of you this time, and let's together go and see if we can help them see what's going on. What if they don't hear you then? Next step, look at verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Now, the, the way that we've applied this verse so often and too often in the church, we, we've applied this to church discipline as we should, but we get the mentality of, man, those screens are big and we could put all the sins of all of the husbands up there and we could shame the husband into seeking forgiveness and admitting his sin. No, no, no. The, the type of relationship that we're talking about is, is pulling together people that speak the truth in love for the purpose of restoring this brother. It's, it's the idea of a, you're walking down a road and there's a brother stuck in, in quicksand. And you, you throw him a rope, but he won't take it. And so you go and grab another person down the path, and you bring them back, and he throws them a rope, and you throw them a rope. They still don't want to take it. Then you go grab a whole bunch of people, and you throw them a rope. He's still sinking. Grab the rope. He won't grab the rope. Finally, if he won't grab the rope, step four. Look at the second part of verse 17. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And again, it's like blood in the water of a bunch of sharks. You're like, yeah, kick him out of the church. Boom, get him out of here. Is that the idea? Let me ask you this. Who humanly is writing these words? He's listening in on Jesus teach this and pen in hand, he is recording what Jesus is saying. Who wrote this? Matthew. And what was Matthew's occupation? A tax collector. How did Jesus treat Matthew as a tax collector? In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus walks up to him, looks him in the eye, confronts him, and says, follow me. Implication? You're not following me. I am calling you into relationship. I am giving you the greatest privilege to come alongside of me, to be loved and protected and provided for and discipled and to become like me. You're not acting like me. You're a tax collector. I am coming to you to invite you to be part of what I'm about. That's the fourth step is you continue to reach out to them, almost as the assumption is, you are an unbeliever, you're not following Jesus, I'm going to evangelize you, I'm gonna to continue to confront you with the gospel of how sinful you are and how holy God is and how gracious an opportunity you have to follow Christ. So speak the truth in love. Now, if you are on the receiving end, you're the one that the hurt has come through, and someone has loved you enough to come and confront you, here's the attitude you should have. First of all, you need to listen to what is being said to you. The scripture tells us that listening is so important in relationships. 
Proverbs 15, verse 31, the ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. What do we do instead of listen when somebody comes and loves us enough to point out sin in our life? What do we typically do? We either minimize it or we rationalize it, or we justify it, or we start pointing out the sins in somebody else's life, which by the way, there may be a time to do that, but it's usually not in reaction to what somebody has done to you. And so we blame others for our, um, for our sin. Don't do that. Listen to what's being said. And then finally, admit you're wrong. Hey, let's all practice together. Let's say those three words together out loud. We need some practice in this, okay? I was wrong. Ready? On the count of three, say it. One, two, three. Did that hurt? You know what the shame is in that? For some of us, that's the first time our spouse has ever heard us say that. And it's because I told you to say it in church. When was the last time you took the initiative and says, I'm listening. I hear what you're saying. You are right. I am wrong, I've been selfish, I've hurt you. Will you please forgive me? That's how that conversation should go. Here's the second point, forgive the hurt coming to you. So we're gonna have to switch the direction of the hurt around right now. What do you do when you have been the recipient of hurt? Your spouse, husband, wife, mother, father, former spouse has hurt you. What is your option? Let's look at it here, beginning in verse 21. And then Peter came up to him and said, does it surprise you at all that Peter had something to say? No. Peter's always coming up, and Peter's got a question. He says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? And then Peter supplies his answer to his own question. He says, as many as Seven times. You see, the law required a person to forgive three times. Peter doubles that, adds one for good measure, and comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, let me just let, me just let the awesome spill out here for a minute. I'm so awesome. I'm going to forgive somebody seven times. Was Jesus impressed? Let's find out. Jesus answered that question. How often shall my brother sin against me? Verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Other translations say 70 times seven. The point is this. Why don't you stop counting the offenses and start concentrating on the forgiveness Jesus supplies a number so high that eventually you just lose count. You just give up and you just decide, I'm going to forgive. I'm just going to forgive. Forgiveness. As Pastor Trent Griffith reminded us today, there are no enduring relationships without it. And thankfully, God's Word has much to say about how and when we should forgive. So join us next week as we hear the rest of Dave and Ann Wilson's story 
we'll also learn about handling hurt God's way. We'd also like to invite you to one of our weekend worship services at Harvest Bible Chapel at one of our two campuses in Granger, Indiana and St. Joseph, Michigan. For service times and campus locations, visit us at harvestgranger.org. Well, I'm Aaron Paulus. Thanks for joining us today. And I hope that God's word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger, harvestgranger.org.